You're listening to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views, and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. Hello, I'm Colin Steed, and I'd like to welcome you to Learning Now Radio. Learning Now Radio is our bi monthly podcast for all learning professionals. This is Learning Now Radio with Colin Steed and Lisa Minogue White. Welcome to episode three of Learning Now Radio. And we're very grateful for your messages of support and your encouragement. And we are so pleased that you found the first two episodes so valuable and you've been able to use the information back at your work. And don't forget, of course, that we'd like you to encourage all of your colleagues and your friends to join us on Learning Now Radio. So, Lisa, what have we got on today's programme? In this episode, we feature an interview with Mike Collins from DPG PLC. Mike's a recognised authority on managing online communities as facilitator of one of the country's leading learning communities. And I caught up with him recently to discuss what the secrets of a successful community are and what we can learn from his experience. Thank you, Lisa. But before we hear from Mike, we feature Kim George, who in this episode is truly working out loud. Kim shares her day as L&D manager of Getty Images. So how was the day for you, Kim? Since listening to the previous episode of Learning Now Radio, in which Jane Bozarf talked about working out loud and the value of doing so, and since watching Helen Blunden's series of working out loud vlogs, I've been inspired to do just that. So in this post, I'm sharing my thoughts on a day in my working life as a learning and development manager at Getty Images in the hope that something I describe will either help someone do or fix something or inspire someone to try something new or be merely interesting to hear about a different L&D related job. It's 9.30, I've just got into work and the first thing I do every day is check my Outlook calendar. I use my calendar as a task or to-do list. I plug in everything I need to do and how long it's going to take. And it's usually something project related, but perhaps just a five minute task or a reminder. So, for example, later this morning, I've got a two hour slot allocated to continuing the work I'm doing on the revamp of our global onboarding program. Planning my days in this way means that not only do I not forget things, but my calendar also gives me an indication of how long I have to do something or how long it should take, as well as sharing my true availability to others. But of course, as we know, things change and things get in the way. So I continually adjust my calendar so it ends up reflecting the true time I've spent on tasks and projects, which is useful in itself. Right now, I've got a 60 minute slot allocated to check in and responding to emails, plus any admin or research I need to do. I know this sounds a bit of a luxury or maybe even a bit lazy, but for me, starting my days like this helps me to get in gear. And I also like to spend this time catching up with blogs and Twitter too. We always say personal research and development is invaluable, yet so few people actually set aside time for it. At Getty, I always encourage people to spare either 10 minutes a day or 30 minutes a week for their own informal, unstructured learning. You never know. Maybe I'll learn something this morning that I'll be able to share with you later on. Hi again, it's now 11.30 and I got through my emails pretty quickly this morning, so I was able to devote about 20 minutes to blogs and social media. 
One thing I've just watched is a video on YouTube, albeit a rather dated one, so you may have already seen this, on IDEO's approach to brainstorming. Um, It all came about because ABC, the US TV channel, tasked IDEO, the product design company, to completely redesign the shopping cart trolley in just five days. So this eight minutes video follows their progress and documents exactly how the team works together, brainstorms ideas, makes decisions and then goes about prototyping and developing something. It turns out they identify issues quite early on. And then in this case, they split into groups to crowdsource and research usage practices and trends and directly from shopping cart producers and suppliers end users in supermarkets and also industry experts. I thought the video is a great insight into IDEO's approaches for innovation and project management. And while um, its ideas might be quite old now, I found it a reminder that it is worth taking risks, worth valuing progress over perfection and recovering quickly from any ideas that don't work. Hi again. If I sound a bit more zen-like, that's because at lunchtime today I went to a yoga class. It really does help me to relax and clear my head and I always return to the office after an hour feeling upbeat and, well, ready for anything. Now it's time for me to continue with the revamp of our onboarding programme that I mentioned earlier, ready for 2016's new starters. Now we always need to keep the content and the activities current and relevant, but it's also nice to refresh the programme at least once a year for the coordinators and facilitators in L&D and HR as well. My approach has been to establish a small project team of L&D and HR colleagues who are helping me to gather feedback from stakeholders and business experts and to gather new materials. Divide and conquer, as it were. Once we have this info, we'll be able to establish exactly what's needed, what's possible and go about creating new resources and establishing any new or improved processes. So I've been interviewing SMEs over the last few weeks to find out what they think new starters need to know when they first join the business, the advice they'd give someone on their first day, and also how these experts would describe Getty Images business and culture. Now, while I think I might know the answers to some of those questions already, I think it's really important to gain this feedback or insights into the perspectives of people who have been here a while and not just look for feedback from the new starters themselves every single time we onboard someone. You see, everyone here has good ideas, regardless of how long they've been here, and they've got something to offer. For example, one great idea someone told me the other day was that why don't we present or uh, record a series of Petra Kuchas? So rather than our usual 30 minute guest speaker slots or our lunch and learns, a group of people could instead meet with the new starters all at once um, and spend 20 seconds on each of 20 slides, perhaps presenting their favourite 20 images or images that tell a story or images that mean something to them. We could then have a panel discussion as a group with the new starters about the topics raised and the images shown. I think this is a great idea as it's going to get people used to talking about imagery, which is really important here for anyone, whether someone's in sales, whether they're in content creation or even finance and legal. It doesn't matter. Everyone's got to be able to offer an opinion or at least explain the value of an image or piece of film. Anyway, I can't wait to try this out. All right, so it's 5.15 in the afternoon now and I'll be thinking about heading home soon. 
Today's been a pretty typical day and it's not been too bitty. Uh, by that, I mean I've been able to focus mainly on one thing, our onboarding programme, which I find enables me to be more productive rather than being distracted or pulled in different directions at once. But something else I have been monitoring throughout today is the coordination of a leadership development course, which we're running for our London office later this month. We run these fierce conversations workshops about a dozen times a year globally, both face to face and virtually, and I make sure they all go smoothly. Now, you've probably heard of the Fierce Conversations uh, company or, or philosophies, but if you haven't read the book by Susan Scott, I would really recommend it. Anyway, I hope you found this insight into my day interesting. If there's anything you want to know more about, you know that you can find me on Twitter. And if you're inspired to record your own working out loud reflections, we would love to see your one to two minute videos on Learning Now TV. So watch the next episode on November 26th for more details. Thanks for listening. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. And now we're pleased to welcome Mike Collins to Learning Now Radio, Lisa. On this edition of Learning Now Radio, I'd like to welcome our friend Mike Collins from DPG. Uh, you might know him as Community Mike on Twitter, and that's a really great link to what we'll be talking about today. Um, Mike is uh, incredibly active in the community space, as well as being one of the, I think it would be safe to say, Mike, leading facilitators of learning communities in the UK. But it's more than uh, an interest and a passion for you. I know that it's really a core part of the work that you do. So hopefully we can get under the skin of that today, Mike. So welcome to the show. Um, hello, Lisa. And thank you for that uh, stupendous welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm blushing quite <laughs> it's a lot. It's my job. Exactly. It's my job to butter up the interviewees. But I, I, I think it's true to say, Mike, you know, in terms of community, you've I think you've worn your heart on your sleeve with this one, that we know you from communities. But it's easy to say, I think, as a as a philosophy, as a, as a learning approach, of course, communities are important to bring people together to learn um, about things that they're passionate about. But why is it so important to the way that you go about your work? Um, I, there's quite a lot of different things to it. I mean, it's one of the things that um, really kind of connected me with the, with, the, with, with the concept of communities was, was you know, many, many moons ago. Um, and it was just purely the ability for people to connect with one another, to share what they know. You know, that, that is, at its essence, you know, what, what makes communities so exciting because you take out the, um, the, <clears throat> the having to have an expert or somebody who, um, you know, is a you know, trainer in the in traditional sense. And you've got the ability to connect people and to get them to share their knowledge, their experiences, warts and all, their successes. And that for me is such a powerful way of learning um, that if you can then shape and design these spaces for people to come and share that knowledge, then I think that's a really powerful way of learning. And that's something that does get me excited. It, it really kind of does, um, you know, ignite the passion in being able to help people be better learners. Um, how do you see that manifest itself actually with the learners themselves? Because, you know, it could be, you could say, well, of course, we work in the learning space. So intrinsically, of course, we should be passionate about it. Of course, it, you know, it should come naturally to us. But what's the impact that you see with the learners? Because I know that your communities, they're very vibrant. And they have a lot of members as well. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, first, the first thing I think is, you know, it, when we say, you know, as L&D, we, we should be passionate about it. In my experience, what I've actually found is there's, there's quite a lot of barriers to, um, you know, using communities because it actually removes the, the, the trainer or facilitator as potentially a point of power or, or the expert. Um, so there's, 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 there's quite a challenge really in, in terms of using a community of practice to support learning and for the L&D community, if you want to a better term, to actually use those proactively to support the learning. Um, so I think one of the barriers that, um, you know, I certainly have come across in the years that I've been working with communities that is that concept of, you know, knowledge is power versus knowledge sharing is powerful. Um, and I don't know who, you know, there's lots of uh, phrases and cliches out there, but, um, you know, the, the, the kind of, the concept of you are what you share has always sat, um, you know, really strongly with me in terms of actually I can add value to others and to myself um, through being an active participant in a community where um, I have got something to say. Um, and it is a bit of a shift, Lisa, in terms of mindset and your own behaviour from moving to that, well, actually, I've got lots of good information that I, I know and I'm quite experienced. What's, what's the shift that needs to take place with, um, for somebody like that to then start offering their uh, experience and their value to others so others can benefit from it? Um, and I think we, we, we certainly have seen that in the communities that I've been involved in, this, this concept of, of lurker to be an active participator and you can consume lots of content, but actually you don't um, you know, participate or provide any, anything that, that, that starts to become two-way or, or you start contributing elsewhere. Um, and it is, it's, you know, we, we talk a lot about strategy and community development. Um, and there's different ways that you can look at it in terms of community life cycle and what you have to put in place to, to get people engaged and get people interacting. Um, but as with any community of practice, um, you've got to meet the needs of the people within it. And I think, you know, if you get that right, uh, in terms of the value that it's going to give to its members, when you support the members, get the most from that community in terms of understanding how the platform works, understanding the etiquette, understanding the, you know, the actual capability of participating in online discussions or or sharing what you know through blogs, um, then you know you, there's, there's there's different ways to approach it. But you've got to support the people within the community and be very clear on what that community is there to do. Well, I think you've picked up on one of the um, key topics. I think it's not a new topic. But it's a perennial topic and it keeps coming back. And I don't know whether I've seen it fully answered out there, but I know I've got a very strong view and I'd like to get your view on it. But this whole concept of the new learning development skill set, I think communities and facilitation. And I was on the last interview with Jane Bozarth talking about um, curation those skills become incredibly important and they are different. It's a, it's, a, it's a different mindset to that that you may traditionally associate with learning and development. Um, do you see that? And, and more than that, actually, Mike, as well as seeing it, how would you define it? What do you think those key skills that learning and development need to be able to support vibrant communities? Um, so when I uh, was over in ATD recently, one of the conversations I had with uh, another practitioner was, you know, right, we know what we uh, what we would like to do, but one of the difficulties we've got at the moment is really kind of inspiring and motivating people to get involved in um, the community. And there was almost like this kind of light bulb appeared. And one of the things that I started thinking through and started talking about was this role of um, digital fluency 
and as an L&D professional, being able to influence. And it sounds cheesy, but one of the things that I've started talking about is influence in, in fluency. So you are, you are fluent with digital tools, so you understand um, curation tools, aggregation tools, community platforms, the difference between groups and blogs, tagging, filtering, how to connect people with content, how to be able to find, uh, search, um, you know, tag things in a, in, a, in, a, in a digital environment, and then influence how that content is uh, made available to people. You influence people by connecting people with the content. So this kind of influency um, really strikes a bell with me because I think as an L&D professional, you have to understand the tools. And that's not to say that we all need to become technology geeks. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the, um, you know, the Twitter handle before Community Mike. You know, I, I've, for a while I went under this, this kind of, a geek with pom-poms. <laughs> because yes, as, as L&D professionals, we have to understand the technology. You, you're not going to get away from that, whether you're a face-to-face -face trainer in the traditional sense, or you're a community uh, nurturer, manager, you need to understand the tech, but what you need to understand is the value that the tech can provide in terms of what it enables. And once you understand that, then the tech actually becomes, you know, not as an important, um, you know, element to it because you're just using the tech to get to the outcome. Um, so I think there's, there's a few things, Ellie. So I think understanding the technology and understanding what it does is absolutely key to, to, to L&D professionals. And then, you know, the, 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 the biggest thing that has really kind of... Um, you know, resonated with me is never underestimate the power of one individual to inspire, motivate, and encourage others to to, to take on the the behaviour that they see, and this is absolutely you know the straight in a community of practice. If that as an L and D professional, if you are that connector, that nurturer, that encourager, and you are helping people find value, then they will mimic and they will mock and they will take the learn the behaviors that they see around them and they will start to do it themselves and a lot of that is down to coaching as well i think you know there's a there's a big um probably missing gap at the moment between you know people coaching people into how to become um you know successful in these new type of roles that's what sat at the heart of um you know our, our decision at dpg to put a community of practice right at the heart of what we do because it was one of the one of my own personal battles working in a large um, regulated corporate was the um, the, the barriers and a misunderstanding of what these more open and collaborative tools um, meant to us as L and D professionals and indeed the organisation. So it shifts that view from you know L and D being the custodians of learning to actually being the enablers of conversation and collaboration and utilising those in a in a, in a productive uh, manner. So I think um, you know the 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 power of one individual to really stand up and role model what, you know, being a, a community, um, you know, manager and what a community nurturer does enables others to see that. And I think that's what drove our decision to put the community of practice at the heart of what we do so that people who are becoming L&D practitioners and professionals, people who are looking to get into HR and human resources, actually see what it's like to be part of a community of practice, um, to feel it firsthand, to you know, to get that experience of you know participating in a group, and you know the way that the um, the program's been written is to include you know things like discussions, things like writing a blog, 
um, you know, things where they come online to chat, you know, they use technology to connect and to keep those conversations going. Um, and that's, you know, really important to us because that means that those individuals can go back to their organizations and say, mm, hang on, what, why aren't we doing this? You know, I just had a really positive experience in using the technology to do this, yet, yet we're not doing this. So, you know, for me personally, I really wanted that to be sort of a catalyst for change that people who use this community of practice themselves, again, see what, um, you know, successful people um, are doing when they use it and use it well and then they can go back into their own organisations to uh, to role model it themselves. Well that's a great point so if they're going to take it back into their organisations and deploy this themselves and as you mentioned before it's part of what you do it's part of your solution do you have some advice on how you blend communities with other um, learning delivery methods? Um, I mean certainly one of the one of the things that's worked um, really well for ourselves is is to understand where the conversations are. So if you are looking at you know your own organisation, um, whether it is um, sort of a, a silo organisation or whether it's open and collaborative, you know work out where people are who are having conversations. So it might well be on um, you know in fact a great example of of, of where this works was at, uh, an old place. Um, of, of work and they were looking at trying to ascertain what the new vision and values were of the company so they could have done the the one-way um, email communication and you know emailing your, your suggestions but instead they took the brave decision to make it into an open forum and to encourage people to participate in what they felt were going to be the new values and visions through that it became clear that people had particular interests in uh, you know a certain uh, policy, or they were interested in trying to change, um, you know, a, a way in which we work. So it's starting simple, I think, Lisa, and working out where where you're going to get best your best bang for your buck, um, and working out where people are actually going to get, you know, um, you know, value from talking to one another. The key thing is whatever happens, whatever ideas are contributed, that they are acknowledged and they're followed up or followed through and they get some sort of you know communication back. There's nothing worse than participating in a community or an online thread forum discussion and you know posting something that you're really proud of and then you get absolutely nothing back. Um, so <clears throat> that's one way in terms of an organization to, to kind of bring people together to talk about some common themes and common interests. I think specifically from a, from a, a learning perspective, where we've really found um, some benefits is to put the community at the heart of the learning experience. So it's not just about a training event. You know, we make learning in continu a continuous process throughout a program or a, a, a campaign or a course, whatever you're working on. So, you know, some good examples are, you know, using that collaborative space and that community to introduce your trainer through video, set them some, um, you know, some reading and some work in which they then post their um, their answers or ideas into a forum. Um, <clears throat> they then have to, um, you know, acknowledge or, or think which one is the most effective or the one that's resonated with them most. Um, and then if, if there is some sort of, um, you know, online activity like virtual um, 
you know, virtual delivery. Those sessions are recorded. And again, those conversations are posted back into the community for those who couldn't attend to benefit from. And everything is written in such a way that it builds upon each activity. Um, but it, but it, at, at the heart, you've got this community where people can uh, post and post discussions and a facilitator can then post the questions. So they're not just getting email after email after email, um, but it's kind of one person asks a question and then the whole group will benefit um, from the answer. And the other thing that's worked well is, is uh, using blogs as a reflective activity. So I think one of the things that we do miss out on is that, 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 that art of you know, critical reflection. So what have I done here? What have I learned from it? What am I going to do differently? You know, and if you, um, you know, incorporate that into um, you know, a blog, then what you can get very quickly is some really good thoughts and ideas on what people have taken from content and how they're going to do something differently or an experience that they've had. Yeah, and I think what's um, really encouraging to hear is that one of the, um, we, going right back to the start of the interview, really, one of the things that you're talking about with barriers to community participation, one of the things that I've seen in yeah, my previous corporate role, Mike, actually, was it does take some bravery and some accepting that uh, learning isn't something to be owned and it doesn't reside in in one place. And there were two examples. And you were saying about, you know, in your previous organisation, opening up the conversation. I saw one in uh, one of the orange countries, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it may have been Switzerland at a time when they were going through a huge amount of organisational change, and it was going to result in potentially redundancies. It was highly emotional time, but they opened up an employee forum to discuss that and discuss how how it was being managed, um, what they thought things would look like once they'd gone through this transformation, having a space to explore their experience of this huge change program. And it was an incredibly brave step. And I know there are lots of, of uh, L&D departments out there uh, or HR departments that just may think that's an absolute no-go area. Why on earth would you open up a public forum at that time? You know, there'd be all sorts of mud being slung, as it were, all over the place. Exactly the opposite happened. Uh, it was incredibly positive. It was self-policing. If people really had an issue that perhaps wasn't appropriate for that forum, you could see people trying to support and coach them to the best channel to explore that. But overall, it helped the organisation own that change programme. And where I've seen it in, in specifically with a, a learning program where a group of, of expert users or people that have deep insight into a particular sort of contextual problem in an organisation, they already have a community. They then own the formal learning. So they help to breathe life into that and, and make sure that that's you know, on point, that it's relevant, that it's right, that they're kind of capturing the conversations that are happening around the formal learning back into the community. And I think with both of those goes back to your point, doesn't it? It was purpose. The purpose was crystal clear. Yeah, definitely. If you, we, we, without purpose, you know, what, what, what do you have? Um, I mean, things can grow organically. Um, things, you know, can change their shape, grow, evolve. Um, but again, that, that initial purpose of why you're going to bring people together, um, you know, is absolutely key. Uh, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, a friend of mine, Julie Wedgwood, told me was the, the, the four P's of community development, which were platform, people, passion, and the Pied Piper, you know, and if, oh, sorry, I beg your pardon, sorry, sorry, 
passion, take purpose as your number one. So purpose, platform, people, Pied Piper. Now, so have you got the purpose? Have you got the platform? Have you got the people that are gonna be able to bring it together? And have you got that Pied Piper who can you know, really lead from the front? And again, you know, one of the videos that really kind of struck me as, as, as I could relate to it in all you know, the years that I've kind of developed communities now is the uh, leadership lessons from Dancing Guy, which I think is uh, Derek Silver's um, and it is just the guy dancing in the field and he gets his first follower, um, you know, and then all of a sudden the movement starts. And again, this links in with Simon Sinek's um, Law of Diffusion of Innovation, where you do get your, uh, your innovators, you know, the people who do things differently, who think differently. Um, and then you get your early adopters who, who start to recognize actually this is a viable, you know, this is, this is something that we need to, you know, get stuck into and we need to use ourselves. And then you get to that, that early majority and you hit the tipping point the late majority and then you eventually get the laggards and i see this very much as you know a changing uh, role for l d you know as, as more digital technology uh, infiltrates our personal lives and the workplace there's just different ways in which we can look at how we you know facilitate and, and, and orchestrate and organize you know learning uh, or at least putting the structures and infrastructure in place where learning can take place in a you know in a, in a less um you know, controlled manner, um, and it's it is more organic. It is, um, you know, as, a, as akin to us facilitating and helping connect people with with others, um, where learning takes place, as opposed to we being the owners and controllers. Fantastic. Well, on that note, Mike, I have to say thank you so much. There's so many takeaways there, I think, for people, and certainly one that I hope that people take away is it's about getting on with it, being brave, and doing this. Because Absolutely. I think you've proven, you know, an entire business has been built out of not being afraid to give this a go and for it to be core of what you do. So thank you for sharing that story with us, Mike. No, cheers, Lisa. Thanks for Lovely. Your time. Thank you. All right. Bye. This is Learning Now Radio with Colin Steed and Lisa Minogue-White. Well, that's it for episode three. We hope you enjoyed it and found it valuable for your work. Please remember to share it with your work colleagues. And if you have a moment, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps. In the next episode, I'm delighted to feature my interview with Clark Quinn. I caught up with Clark Quinn after DevLearn and we discussed the future of L&D and the role that it will play in the organisation. I hope you can join us then. Thank you so much for joining us. Please help us to spread the word by mentioning it to your L&D friends and colleagues and rate us on iTunes. Remember, if you subscribe to the channel on iTunes, you'll never need to miss an episode. So Lisa and I look forward to you joining us for the next episode in two weeks' time.